I explained it to them three times. I don't know what more they want from me. I can tell you what they want from you. Let me explain it to you. It's UDL. Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. In this episode, Amelie and Kimmy discuss Universal Design for Learning, or UDL. Following UDL helps make your course more accessible to students and allows them to interact fully with the course material. More access and more interaction means more learning and more support for your students. when someone is explaining something to you. They describe it and it kind of makes sense. I mean, you get it and you know what they're talking about. But then they draw a diagram or a flowchart on a napkin and it makes more sense and you totally get it. But then you watch an action and wow, it makes sense. You have auditory, visual, and experiential. This is UDL. And For me, this brings to mind actually every time I have to explain my family tree to someone because I always have to draw it. Okay. Uh, And this is always preceded by them coming to a family event with me uh, so they know who people are, right? What does it bring to mind for you? Um, For me, I always think so. Every year, there's this one day. uh, That my Facebook memories pop up a picture of a napkin actually, where I drew a diagram of the offside rule in soccer. I love soccer. I watch it all the time. My husband is not a sport person. He's like, you're watching your sport ball again. Go sport. I don't know. It's not his his jam. So occasionally he'll start watching with me and he goes, I don't understand what that call was. I don't understand. And it was the offside rule. And so I explained it to him. That's, you know, this, you've got your defenders here and your furthest um, offensive player can't be passed. So I'm explaining it and he's like, yeah, I, I guess I get it, but I don't really get it. So anyway, and moves on. So I took out a little napkin and I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to show you. And so I drew it. There's little X's and O's and little dotted lines for where the players are going. And he's like, okay, I think I see what you're saying. Sort of. <laughs> and then, um, he started actually watching the games with me and seeing what was happening as it was happening, and I could talk him through it while he's watching it, seeing it all happen. And then he's like, oh, 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 I get it. I get it now. And so my next step is to get him in the yard with a soccer ball and some of the neighbor kids. And, he and then he can truly experience it and know. But that right there is universal design for learning. That is teaching the same concept in a variety of different modalities so that your learner gets a better grasp of sort of a 360 view of what they need to know. Exactly. Universal design for learning is an approach that helps eliminate learning barriers that can cause unequal access to opportunities for students. And using those multiple modalities, having that same information presented in different ways really helps student students overcome the barriers. And it considers all of the needs and abilities of all learners in your classroom. So often when people think about universal design, they think about accessibility. 
Yeah. And accessibility is so important. Um, you and I, the other day, were talking about uh, that meme that your friend sent you. Yeah. Uh, and it was really great because I feel like when we talk about accessibility or UDL, a lot of times we, one, think UDL is just accessibility and it is not, which we will explain further. Um, but accessibility also goes further than just let's make sure we have transcripts in our videos. Right. The the image that Cami is talking about is a little um, is a picture of sort of all the different ways that um, people might need additional support with something and not even thinking of it as additional support. These are all the way we learn is sort of on a spectrum. And everybody's learning things in different ways and in different contexts and in different spaces and need different modalities at every point. Accessibility is really important, but we forget that every student at every level needs some sort of accommodation. Right. And sometimes that's just because you're a working parent and you have a thousand things going on and you really need, uh, you know, some time flexibility or you need to be able to, you need those transcripts on the videos, not necessarily because uh, you're hearing impaired, but because you don't have time or the space to actually listen. And so it's a different kind of accessibility. Both are very important. And UDL encompasses both, but is not defined uh, as just accessibility. So. UDL goes beyond that accessibility piece because it talks about and thinks through the why, the what, and the how on engagement, representation, and action. Uh, you may see action sometimes called expression when people talk about UDL as well. So can you talk to me a little more about what engagement will encompass in universal design? Yeah, absolutely. So we think through uh, kind of engagement as how students are engaging with the course and learning material in general. Now, this is not just our students showing up, right? But it's rather our students engaging with this in a meaningful way that is useful to progress their learning. Is there motivation behind what they are doing? Right. Is there motivation also why are they engaging? What are they engaging with? And how are they engaging? So you think through like each section really matters. Sure. You know, in online courses, this is especially important because if you're asynchronous, really, this is the student's interaction with the course other than emailing you, uh, which may happen sometimes, too. It's are they interacting with the materials you've put in? To help prepare them for those, you know, whether that's your discussion board or whether you have a different activity uh, for students or, uh, you know, a paper or project, whatever it is that they've got to do that action. Uh, you want them to be able to engage with things prior to that and you want it accessible uh, and open to every single student in a way that is meaningful to them. Uh, that is representative of their needs, representative of the identities of your students in the classroom, uh, so that they're able to fully engage with that material and understand it 
Um, you know, you talked earlier about multiple modalities, the same information. So when you have the information presented in multiple ways, students are able to better engage. They get that topic, you know, that knowledge that you're wanting them to get from a different perspective because of that sometimes. Well, I think the the engagement, the sort of the line between there's an there's being present and then there's engaging. And those are I had a conversation the other day where I was making the point that conversation is give and take. Talking is not necessarily conversation. Right. That there's a difference. And the other person I was talking to kept saying, but I have a conversation with someone if I go ask them for directions. No, you're asking a question. You're You're having a dialogue or you're having a you're talking to them. You are soliciting information, but you are not having a give and take of information. And that's, I think, similarly, your students can come and sit in your class or open up your your course online and they can see it and they can be there. But are they is there a give and take with that information? Are they bringing what they know to the plate? Are they taking from it what you're giving them? Exactly. And that's what you're wanting to see with that engagement piece and why you want to bring in multiple modalities, why you want to get to know who your students are at the beginning of the semester or term so that you can meet those needs so that you can present information to them in a way that they are able and excited to engage with. And when we talk about modalities, it's probably good to um, make the point that most of us have been told oh, I'm a visual learner, or I'm an auditory learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner, I'm a this kind of learner, I'm a that kind of... We are all, all of those kinds of learners. Yes, the the idea that we are only one type of learner is really not true. Right. Um, all of us learn in all of these ways. And the more access that we can get to different ways, the more we learn about that topic. Just like Amelie was talking about with explaining offsides to her husband, um, you know, when she explained it to him verbally and then she drew it on the napkin and he saw it kind of flat and then he went, you know, and watched the soccer game and saw how they were doing it. And so the last thing that Amelie said was that she, you know, her next step is to get him out of the yard as a soccer ball. So that he can actionably uh, have the experience of, of offsides, well, of knowing what that feels like on a field. I think the thing to point out, too, is that each one of those isolated doesn't do enough. Right. Because just what because he started off just watching it with me and going, why are why did they blow the whistle there? And so it wasn't just seeing it wasn't enough. But if I had just handed him the picture without any explanation, that wouldn't have been enough. Just explaining it wasn't. None of those things um, altogether are, altogether they are enough. Separately, they are not. Um, right. The, and if you threw him out in the yard with a soccer ball in the neighborhood, that still kids, wouldn't. it wouldn't be enough because no. he still wouldn't know what was going on. That's, well, and there's a, there was a, a um, a writer named Julie Dirksen who talks in one of her books, she, I think it was Julie Dirksen look that up um, and put a link to it in the show notes because it's fantastic. Uh, She talks about how everyone is a visual learner. And if you aren't using visual 
tools, you are leaving things on the table. You are, you're not taking advantage of another way that your students could learn something or learn another part of something or learn another aspect of something. I'm a huge fan of graphics, you know, illustrations, all of that, because for me, when I see it, you know, it, it comes to life. Sure. Um, and, and that's also true sometimes when I'm listening, because I'll make a connection to something else. And so it, you know, we're all all of the learners. And so it's important to put all of the things in there because it's just another experience for your students so that they get a deeper understanding of a concept. Now, that said, um, you are still going to have students who are perhaps more driven by having higher engagement. They're the students who need to know the motivation. Um, to get a little further, they are going to do better if you give them that motivation up front. Um, or they just, they need to know the information. They need the representation. They need to know the information and they're going to latch onto that more quickly than they will latch onto the motivation. They're not concerned as much about why. They're concerned with what. And then you have the students that need to, to see it in action, to to do it. And that's more, they still need all three of those parts, but they're maybe going to be more internally driven to learn right? in those three categories. Right. And, and UDL doesn't think about it in terms anymore of the, what type of learner are you, or, you know, even how are you um, driven to do these things? But in each category, that engagement, representation, and action, they actually have, think of it in terms of engagement because you want purposeful and motivated learners, right? You want to be purposeful. You want your students to be motivated to come in. The representation, resourceful and knowledgeable learners. And so that's really where you're giving them um, what they need to dig into the resources. Yes, you are providing resources, but but more than that, you're giving them the tools to dig into the resources um, so that it, again, open, they're engaged, they're motivated to dig into them. And then the action, strategic and goal-oriented learners, um, you want all of your students to be all of these things. You want them to be purposeful and motivated, Absolutely. resourceful, knowledgeable, strategic, goal-oriented, because... That's kind of how you progress in learning. That's how you move yourself along. And there are also, those are also, those three categories are addressed in three separate areas of the brain. Yeah. So when you can tap into all three of those, you are, it's a more of a whole brain activity than just one. And the, the, you, you learn better, you retain better. If you can, if your brain is making connections between the various areas of the brain, you have better learning. And so this, this taps into all of those. You get more whole brain kind of approach. So let's talk about how we can use UDL in the classroom or in the online class. We all know that these students are going to come to our classes with different experiences, different ideas, different perceptions, different, um, different 
you know, base experiences that may have affected how they view information, how they want to process information, how they feel capable of process. The, the students who did not do well in math are going to come going, I'm just not a math person. Or um, I'm just, I, I don't like to read. Right. And I do like to tap into growth mindset at those points and say, you're not a math person yet. You don't like to read yet. But these are skills that we develop, right? That we can develop and all of us have the capacity to do so. And UDL is a great way to approach that, approach the growth mindset with students and kind of experientially let them know that they are a math person. They do like to read. They just maybe haven't tried the right combos yet. Or they maybe only seen it presented to them in one way. And I'm, I don't want to pick on math, but I see it a lot in math <laughs> where it has been taught this one way. And that's how everybody who, and people who become math teachers, they were good at math. They like math. That's their, that's their jam. That's their math. They understand it. And so it then gets presented in the same way. Um, but you take those students and show them how. So right before this podcast, we were having a conversation about how I had a student years ago who did a math project where he created a ghillie suit. And if you don't know what a ghillie suit is, look it up. G-H-I-L-L-Y. It's it basically makes you look like a swamp thing hiding in the bushes. He made it from from scratch by hand. He wove the the um, strands together. He recruited his classmates to help him weave it together. Um, but it was a math. He was not a math. He was not a math inclined student, but. I, I could hear him explaining the math of how he was figuring out how much yarn he needed, how many, you know, how close things needed to be together, how to space all of that out, how to the proportions. And he was using math. And so when you can give students another entry point into the things that you're teaching them, that's what you're you're just giving another entry point. You're not teaching anything different. You're not teaching anything else. You're just you're opening a different door. You can come in the side door or the front door or the other front door. You can go upstairs. There's like all these different entrances to a house. There's no reason to restrict it to one one doorway. Right. I mean, you and and that's the point. That's the part of the representation. You know, people um, perceive information in different ways. And so that means they're going to receive it in different ways. And then express it in different ways. There, it's it's all of these things, and so because people come from these different backgrounds, and they have different ways that they're motivated, or they have, I'm going to say misconceptions even about themselves based on their past experience, then it's really great when you can dive into. Let's add this information in multiple ways so that students can engage with it. And they can receive it how they need that expression. You know, you've got representation in there. And then they're able to act on that in multiple ways. So you don't just have your, you know, regular, here's your midterm multiple choice exam. 
and that's it. You have written assignments, you have project-based assignments, you, you know, you might have some low-stakes quiz uh, because we, we do love our low-stakes quizzes. You might have graphic organizers. Yes. This gets um, back to a lot of our um, alternative assessments, too. This is thinking about different ways that they can demonstrate to you that they have learned the concept or learned the skill um, and, and allowing them to tap into the engagement representation and action for themselves. Um, maybe you've got students that are going into a very you know, heavily academic career and they need to be able to write articles, journal articles. That's what they need to be able to do. And for them, it's going to be more purposeful for them to write an academic paper at the end of your course, because that is purposeful for them, for their path. But then for some students, they may need to express the same information, but they are going into marketing. Being able to do a live presentation for the client is going to be a more beneficial. So if they can do hone their presentation skills in that you're giving them an option to say, this is what will motivate me. This is what will have purpose for me. This is what will build my knowledge and is more representative of what I need and and then be able to act on it. Right. And so you kind of choose the acceptable evidence that you believe is appropriate for meeting your course outcomes. And then students have a choice in how they are giving you that acceptable evidence. And that leaves things open for feedback, not only from you, but also from students, you know. So it's a two-way street when you open yourself up to giving students choice, uh, giving them variety, and presenting information in multiple modalities so that students understand it from different perspectives. I've always also found that if you're giving them choice, the, the mere act of watching how they choose something um, and how they execute that choice, it can tell you a lot about whether they have truly learned what you've been wanting to teach them. I mean, if you give them the opportunity to do a presentation and maybe you don't explicitly say this kind of a PowerPoint presentation, a Prezi presentation, a live video presentation, an animated presentation. You don't give them those restrictions. You tell them it's a visual presentation. It has to have, you know, these visual elements. Depending on which one of those they choose, it may be more fitting to what you have been teaching. And it might demonstrate a little more of that metacognition of, of the you can see if they are learning what you're needing them to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's kind of weird how much more we open ourselves to when we let go a little bit of the control that we put into our courses. It's so much more fun. It is. I got. I mean, I was teaching, and I know we go back to English examples a lot, but I was teaching English and I was reading the same essay every time. And that, and I started to realize that didn't actually tell me if these students were learning what I needed them to learn, but I needed them to learn how to summarize or I needed them to learn how to synthesize. Um, it wasn't as much about, can they write me a paper that is synthesizing these two same articles that everybody else is synthesizing? <laughs> if I can allow them to, 
I started with just allowing them to choose their articles. That alone made a huge difference. Allowing them to choose how they showed me synthesis. And when I had a student, I may have talked about this one before, but I, I, when I had a student that did, um, he used a lot of samples of music. He wrote music and used samples in his music. And he was synthesizing literally this music and then was able to talk to me about how he made those choices. The fact that he chose that to demonstrate the skill of synthesis showed me that he truly understood what synthesis was. And it was a lot more entertaining than reading one more paper about the same article that everybody else was reading, was writing. Um, and, and we've talked about using rubrics before, but this is an excellent uh, time. If you want to give students choice, you can make a single rubric that shows you uh, how you are grading all of these different projects so you don't have to be overwhelmed with how to assess them. You are not creating 10 different rubrics with 10 different assignment sheets and 10 different. Just create the one rubric that's, you know, like you said, that visual presentation of whatever this is. It needs to include X, Y, and Z uh, in order to do that. Is the content appropriate? Is, you know, are you using the appropriate skills? You can add those in um, and just have it be student choice. Here's this one assignment with this one rubric, and you put in your choice in this one place. Um, so you're not chasing things all over your course. It can get really crazy, I think, sometimes when you think about approaching something like adding right. variety. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and you can not do, at all. you know, like if, like Amelie said, she started out just here's choosing your articles and when she got comfortable with that then she said okay now now you can choose your how, modality yeah you choose your modality of how you uh show me this skill that i need you to know and so you know work your way up uh to yeah. where to where you feel comfortable um but it, but also know that it doesn't have to be a big complicated thing either and for your Asynchronous online courses and instructional designers can help you design that so that it's easy for you um, and, and not overwhelming. And then also for the students, it not only gives them choice, but is uh, it very easy to use. The thing that I love about using the rubrics in, in doing this is that it, it strips it down. So talking about it's it doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, it's best if it's not complicated. If you can strip it down to the the specific things you are looking to assess. So you are assessing their presentation skills. You're not that's what you can focus on. You're assessing their ability to do this skill, this one skill and how do they how do they tackle that one skill? You're not having to look at the whole project. You're not doing this holistic grading process where you have to, oh, my God, how many times have I heard an, an instructor say, um, I mean, I read it and it just it felt like a C. I've heard that so many times, not here and not with our current faculty. But over the years, I have worked with teachers who would go, well, I read it. It's clearly a C paper. But why? Point it to me. Show me. What's see about it? Well, and you if you can't articulate that, then you really can't give students feedback so that they can and improve. And can you expect your students to have done what you were asking if you weren't able to articulate it yourself in the first place? Right. 
And then maybe that's not even what you were actually looking for. Maybe you realize that that's that what you've been teaching and that that helps your alignment. Right. And so really thinking through um, what you're asking students to do and rubrics really help to articulate that. Um, and, and here's the thing. Once you have this kind of uh, the action piece of your UDL, yeah. um, that's actually when I like to go back and think about the representation piece. I like to think about the action piece first. Uh, after you know you have your outcomes, what is the acceptable evidence for those outcomes? And then I go back and I think about the representation. So what are the resources and knowledge I need my students to have and be able to engage with in order to really, yeah, and in, in order to really get this going to, so they can be ready to create that acceptable evidence. Rubrics are a big help in creating those resources and that representation piece um, because that's when you go, oh, these are the things they're going to be graded on. So what pieces of information do I need um, to be able to give them? And with representation, who are my students? How can I bring diverse perspectives and voices to this information that I'm giving them, to the you know, skills and knowledge that they need to have? So adding an interview with someone in the field uh, who's presently in the field on a theory that you're talking about, um, you know, maybe where they're talking about the theory or the topic and they've used the theory to explain it. Finding those different pieces can really help to bring to life, even if you're using a textbook chapter as your base. So let's say you start with a textbook chapter. How do you bring that to life with interviews or TED Talks or um, practice uh, things? Sometimes you can do like whether it's drag and drop or you've got a, a fun little game thing in there. That's not necessarily graded. It doesn't have to be graded, but you're adding in a piece that they can work with. You add in a list of websites that they can visit to explore more. It's opening up more doors. It's opening up more closets. It's looking inside things. It's it's giving them all these different sort of entry points to that same information that's in the textbook. Right. But it can seem, I think, very locked away for students when it's just in a textbook. Yes. And of course, you know, one of my favorite ways is listening to a podcast. Well, yes. I mean, you know, like the pedagogy toolkit. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. So I I really think that being able to add in these things, starting with your action, once you've established your course outcomes, starting with the action, the pieces that you know students need to bring as acceptable evidence of their learning, then you go back to that representation and you find the things that students need to know, but you do it in a way that's really meaningful and purposeful. You're trying to make them knowledgeable about this topic, not just let them read through the first foundation, right? You want them to explore. You want them to open those closet doors. Yeah. Um, And then I think through the engagement piece, Okay, I've got all this stuff. How do I make this uh, flow together for students? One, so that it's easy to use for them, but also manageable. Um, And we've talked a little bit about this um, in the past, but chunking. Um, We talked about microtopic lectures. 
you know, just picking a very short uh, topic where you can, uh, where you are focusing, you know, five or 10 minutes on one topic and then have an activity or another resource for students to dive into on that topic and then add your second microtopic video, you know, so you're kind of chunking by relevant information so students can dive in and explore each section and build. It's those manageable pieces. And it's something, um, I think we talked about it the other day, that if you've got a 30-minute lecture, a one-hour lecture, and they get to the end of that and go, okay, now I have to answer these questions and I don't remember anything that happened. And what were they talking about at the beginning? But you can, when you can chunk it that way, it's it allows them to focus more explicitly on those finer points. Right. Of the topic. Well, and if you're a working parent or a working caregiver of any kind, because um, we also have students who are caregivers for their parents. Um, we also have people who may be working three jobs and it, they're first generation college students. And so chunking it that way allows them to say, OK, I have 25 minutes you know, for my lunch break, I'm going to spend that 25 minutes, you know, eating, of course, but also on this one topic. So it's really easy for them to pick that up and then they can think through that one topic before the next period of time when they can come back and get the next one. Yeah, that I will. I took some training in my previous life. It The training will remain nameless, but it was uh, it was supposed to be this very specific sort of micro topic, micro training. Um, but they gave us an hour and a half long lecture with no breaks in it to watch. You couldn't change the speed. You couldn't move forward. You couldn't do anything. And I, it was one of the, I had to block out an hour and you had to pass the quiz at the end of it. And I'm like, I have to block out an hour and a half to watch this, block out the time to take. And if I have to start over, I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to, I have to take notes now, which is fine, but. I'm going to lose my place with that. It was, it was, I have to be honest. I can no longer focus for an hour and no, a half. I don't watch movies anymore. <laughs> I wish movie theaters would bring back the intermission. Yes. I not only. Uh, I need a refill. Yes. And I need to go to the bathroom. And here's the thing. At home, I not only subscribe to the cheapest option of Hulu with ad supported things because it's cheaper on my budget. I also do it because I enjoy the breaks because I can get up in the middle of a show yep. and go do something. I don't know why I don't just pause it. No, my brain doesn't work that way. I feel like I can't pause it. I'll be ruining it. But a break is fine. You know, if I've got well, two and, and a half minutes on and my you commercial. Can and you can see when the next commercial's coming. You can yes. plan out. Okay, so when the next commercial comes, I'll go do that. I'll get up my popcorn. You, you, know? get, you can plan. Yes, exactly. And so we need that in our learning as well. Well, I mean, and I know my, my husband hates ads. on the, Like he hates watching Hula because of the ads because he hates them because he will just watch it straight through. And so this is one of those cases where we are two very different uh, we take in information in two very different ways. Yes. And your learners are all going to be like that. And it's not just going to be two ways. It's no. going to be 42 ways. And so 
the more you can build those frameworks around it that encompass the things you need it to encompass, but with the freedom for them to wander around in those frameworks. That's UDL. That's UDL. That, and that leads to more success because they're going to be more motivated to be engaged because it's not a hardship on them to watch your lecture video or, you know, to sit through an hour and a half training. Somebody doesn't have to grit their teeth to do that. Uh, and and hate their life for that month. Yeah, an hour and, and I did. I hated my life for that hour and a half because it wasn't even good. Yeah. So UDL is just a way to think through your course and really to think about what you're doing, what your students need, how they are receiving and um, taking in your information that you're giving them, and also how they are um, bringing back and doing something with your information, right? Um, it's really about giving students the flexibility and access that they need to engage with your course and demonstrate the mastery. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Pedagogy Toolkit. Don't forget to subscribe.